This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Monday, November 29th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Steve Hellwagon. Steve and I are going to answer some tough questions on today's show, at least try to answer some tough questions. Picking up the pieces here two days after Ohio State's terrible performance in Ann Arbor, uh, losing to the Maze of Blue 42-27, to got dominated and you know, it's so disappointed that they lost the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball, Steve. I want to start with the defense. I want to push this forward and kind of you and I can kind of sit here and give our opinions on what Ryan Day needs to do to fix the defense and some other issues. Let's start with the defense. I am of the opinion he needs to do what he did when he took over this program and not maybe clean house completely, but um, gut it pretty good, bring in some fresh faces, find his Jeff Halfley, just like Michigan did with Mike McDonald. Bring a defensive coordinator in from the outside. Find your new Jeff Halfley. What do you think Ryan Day needs to do with this defense? Oh, I agree 100%. I think that uh, they need a reboot. And, uh, you know, the, the issues are are two or threefold. I think uh, we, we could talk coaching all we want, and, and you could have uh, Buddy Ryan in the Bear defense or whatever, but if you don't have the personnel, to execute whatever it is you're trying to do defensively, it's never going to work. So I think the first issue is personnel on defense. Uh, you didn't have, in a is one of Urban's favorite things, in a talent equated game, you didn't have the people to stand up and make plays at any of the front seven positions on defense. You don't have a first team All Big Ten player. Uh, in the front seven, maybe Haskell Garrett. That's it. And that's a problem. You you don't match up physically. You don't match up playmaking-wise. And that goes back to recruiting. Uh, they have not recruited well on defense. Yes, they got J, uh, JT Tuamalao and Jack Sawyer, but that's a Band-Aid. Those guys are freshmen. I honestly think they need to go into the transfer portal and go find legitimate starting players at defensive tackle, defensive end, and linebacker, or you're going to look at the same thing a year from now, Dave, because you don't have talent in the front seven that can help you win a talent-equated game. And that was what they were in. So that to me, that's the first problem. You got shoved off the line of scrimmage. You got beat physically. And, and really, the problems that we had seen Week in and week out, came home to roost, finally. I think in the secondary, you're probably going to be okay because they have 
recruited some good players back there. Um, Denzel Burke had played outstanding up until Saturday, gave up two big plays and a pass interference penalty. But uh, to me, the, the issues, I think in addition to addressing the coaching problems, he's got to go into the transfer portal and go get impact players or you're going to have the same problem next year because Garrett's gone. Uh, Harrison and Smith, they could go, but if they go or don't go, uh, you know, were, were they even on the field Saturday? The, the best thing Tyreek Smith did was flip off the Michigan players in the tunnel at <laughs> halftime. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I just I didn't see any difference makers. When your best linebacker was recruited as a running back, uh, that's an indictment of all of them, in my opinion. So you, you got to improve the personnel one way or the other. And, and, and they've got two good linebackers coming in with Powers and Hicks. My question is either of them ready to go in and be a Katzenmoyer type guy the first year and come in and play because that's what they need. And so to me, that's, that's, that's part of this problem. You want to ask about coaching. He's going to have to make a value decision on each of those coaches, one, to retain them, and two, into what role. They, he's got to go find somebody who can defend the power and the spread in this modern era of college football because within the Big Ten, you see Purdue one week, and then you see what Michigan and Wisconsin try to do the next week. So you've got to be able to defend it all or you can't win the Big Ten. So uh, to me, and there's going to be plenty of people out there that fit those those capabilities who would more than gladly accept a million and a half dollars to come in and call this defense. So exactly. he's got to go find somebody. He and Gene Smith need to sit down and have some hard conversations because this wasn't acceptable, the final outcome. And he needs to make a value decision. Is Kerry Combs worth keeping for his recruiting? Question. Is Matt Barnes worth keeping for whatever he brought to the table? Larry Johnson, Sacred Cow, is, is he worth keeping? Al Washington, we've waited, we've waited. And now he's got two good linebackers finally on the hoof coming in. Do you let him coach those two guys he recruited, or do you go in a new direction there? So to me, you got some tough questions. I think at least one of them's got to go because you got to bring somebody in. So um, that's my long and short of it, Dave. I think it's a, a two part thing. And then the third thing is you got to look at scheme. Uh, somebody on our message board said, Are we still in nickel? <laughs> Which I kind of got a, a kick out of that. <laughs> Craig Young started at the bullet and uh, Hickman started at the too high safety. And did Young make any plays? I think that's something that's got to be evaluated. Having him out there, was that better than having whoever the possible third linebacker would have been? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, obviously the second half, Dave, I think they ran 22 running plays to just four or five, six passes. It was obvious they were jamming the ball down Ohio State's throat. You needed more physicality out there. I'm not sure Young was the guy in those situations. So it's, it's three and two. It's third and two, and they're out, Ohio State's defense is out there in nickel. I mean, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. They're out there in the four two five. Uh, you know, this goes into my next thing, Steve. Go they're ahead. Soft. They're soft. They look like a Big Twelve team. And 
listen, on offense, if you want to look like a Big 12 team, you know, okay, that's fine. But then you're going to have issues in the red zone, so it's really not fine. And Ohio State has issues in the red zone because they're not tough enough. And then, but the biggest the the biggest exactly the biggest issue though is is on defense. I mean, now the offense has its issues too, just like I said, red zone. I I just don't see enough toughness on the offensive line. Um, But this defense looks like a Big Twelve defense. They're soft. They don't look anything like an Ohio State defense. Uh, It's just so disappointing. They look soft on both sides of the ball. I think Matt Barnes made some good decisions on bringing blitz pressure. I was watching the game through my binoculars to see if anybody was getting home, and I never saw the blitz get home. I kept saying to our guy, Pat Murphy, sitting next to me, okay, blitz coming, picked up. And that allowed McNamara the time he needed to get the ball out. He was getting the ball out pretty quick anyway. But, uh, you know, you're you're right in terms of the physicality. uh, It just wasn't there. They had zero tackles for loss, Dave. Zero. They never once tackled anybody behind the line of scrimmage. Maybe there were some no gains, but there weren't many of those. I was watching the running game, particularly on those third and short situations, and, and maybe they needed two. They got six or eight, and it was not even a question. They were getting the guy to the line of scrimmage and beyond without being touched, and that can't happen. Your defensive tackles need to get a hand on him, hold him up, and then everybody else converges. So that's that's an issue. And then, of course, the Oregon problem reared its head again. They got outside how many times for uh, at least two touchdowns, the hitting touchdown on the end around. Nobody stayed home. Nobody set the edge. Uh, I mean, as soon as he took the hit off, I'm watching it in the tight view through the binoculars. <laughs> and Pat says in my ear, touchdown. <laughs> He's still at the 15-yard line, Dave. And Pat says, touchdown i'm like oh dear and then as i pan down there's nobody there and he's got a convoy in front of <laughs> i mean we've got a big old convoy running all through the night i mean it was just it was just one play after another and i i don't know they they have got some some major problems i think they've got to go out and get three legitimate defensive players not an ea Adiote, who might play six plays all year, you got to go find somebody who has started at Auburn or uh, somebody who has started at uh, Texas A&M or somebody who has started at, uh, you know, Kentucky or somewhere that Elias uh, Ricks. How about that? Was, that'd, be, that'd be a good one. Elias. Yeah, Ricks. but know, he's been banged up. I know he's, he's a been DB, banged up too. Yeah. I'm thinking more linebackers. Front seven. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear got, you. You got youth and depth in the secondary. That's, I mean, you got your Johnsons and your Hancock and your Turntine. Denzel Burke. Burke. I mean, you got, you got guys back there. Explain to me why Court Williams was, was discussed as the hardest working guy here at eight in the morning, here at eight o'clock at night, and he can't get on the field. And the guys that they're playing are on the field. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, and the guys that they're putting on the field don't make an impact. That's the problem. And so is he really the hardest working player? Is he really a good player? Is he not a good player? You know, we've already seen one guy transfer, Jack Miller. Will there be more? That's another question. That should free up some scholarships. I would think a few guys are going to transfer. That'll free up some scholarships, and they can go find 
they got to really dig in and do some research and figure out if somebody is looking for an upgrade to a national championship team after playing on a 500 team for three or four years, kind of like Jonah Jackson that fell in their lap from Rutgers. Yes. That's the kind of transfer they need on defense. And they only need about four of them. I, I say with a chuckle and a laugh, <laughs> they need two yeah. defensive linemen and two linebackers. Go. Well, just look at that year too. I mean, like all they needed was, you know, a Heisman trophy candidate quarterback and a, a really good offensive lineman. They got Justin Fields and uh, Jonah Jackson that year. Um, just yeah, that that caliber of player. Obviously, they don't need a quarterback. Um, C.J. Stroud uh, was just fine, even though he was under the weather. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit because yeah. now, now I'm going to preface this with: there are no excuses. Michigan kicked Ohio State's ass. Um, but you know, I've heard people bring up that this was a perfect storm for Michigan and this and that. I I, I get that a little bit, um, both figuratively and literally, it was a perfect storm. I do think the fact that it was snowing hurt Ohio State. Um, you know, you saw Lave drop that touchdown. Uh, he's had a couple of drops this year, but I do think that affected Ohio State. I do think the weather, you know, then they had guys that were under the weather. Um, you know, CJ Stroud was battling flu all week. You know, I had a parent tell me that, uh, you know, guys were throwing up, uh, you know, the night before the game, two nights before the game. So that, that's a real thing. It was at Michigan's place. But, man, throw all that out. I mean, even when the weather got a little better in the second half, Michigan just turned it up even more. Michigan wanted it more. And, yeah, I mean, maybe it's also the, the law of averages. Eventually, you know, Michigan, Ohio State wasn't going to beat them every year forever, even though I kind of wanted them to beat them every year forever. But, you know, address some of those things. Was You know, did it, did it feel like kind of a perfect storm for Michigan this year? Well, I think it played a part in it. And I think that Michigan actually gives Ohio State a blueprint here uh, because – uh, Jim Harbaugh rebooted his coaching staff. All of his assistants are between 34 and 44 years old. So he has gone away from the Greg Madison uh, example, which I know Madison left him several years ago and came to Ohio State. But he is no longer looking for that guy with 40 years experience. He went out and got some fresh blood that came in and pumped some life into his program, basically, with new ideas and enthusiasm and energy. So, uh, you know, back on our first part about what kind of staff changes that Ryan Day might institute, I think that that would be something that would, he might consider. I mean, you've got to have competent people. First of all, that's the, the biggest thing. You've got to have people who can recruit. You've got to have people who can develop. And you've got to have people who can scheme. So it's a multifaceted job being an assistant coach. And so to me, uh, I think their way of looking at things changed. And I think that their approach to the game change and that worked in their favor. I uh, go back to the Drew Brees example 20 years ago. They had the best team in the Big Ten at Purdue, but they went up to Michigan State in November and lost the game to a terrible Michigan State team because the weather was terrible and they couldn't throw the ball over the lot. Now, obviously, in my opinion, I think C.J. Stroud stood on his head. I thought he played outstanding, um, and he had to overcome the absolutely abysmal play of his offensive line and some very questionable play calling at times as well. At, I put in my first look column at least four plays, maybe five, that uh, 
the, the plays were called. They, they attempted to execute them. And when it's over, you just scratched your head and said, I can't believe they just decided to do this in this situation. They went with a direct snap on second and 10 from the 20 yard line uh, to Travion Henderson. That I, I, I'm confused what they thought that was going to, and he ran it to the short side. He faked a toss to CJ Stroud, uh, who's never run the ball yet. I, I don't, I'm, I'm just scratching my head. Third, uh, what was it? Uh, third and five at the 10 yard line or second and five at the 10 yard line. They ran the ball with Mayan Williams for a yard. Uh, that made no sense. So it was, it, the whole thing just, a lot of things happened that didn't make any sense. Three running plays to start the second half. Uh, but again, uh, your play calling, even if you had, you know, I don't know who the greatest offensive play caller of all time is. I, I use Buddy Ryan on defense, insert that name. Even he doesn't have plays to make up for second and 20 and, uh, you know, third and 17, which your offensive line put you in those holes because of how many false start penalties and uh, a couple five, holding penalties. Five, yeah, five false, five, five false snap penalties. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And the biggest game of the year, the biggest game of the year, they, they failed the, the final exam and uh, couldn't block Hutchinson. Uh, you know, Ojabo got through for one late. Uh, there was it, one of the holding penalties on Petit Ferrer wasn't a very good call. I think Ojabo pretty obvious he slipped on the wet turf and went down and it wasn't like he grabbed him and drove him into the ground or anything he just touched him on his way by you know and the guy slipped he, he the guy you know a job the, the the job of those defensive ends is to get at an angle coming around where you can leverage your way around well he was off kilter on his own he his angle was off you know what i mean he had he had taken a bad angle and he slipped on his own and so you know, the officials bought it. Ohio State couldn't buy a holding penalty at the other end. On the other side, couldn't buy a holding penalty. Lathan Ransom got tackled on one of those outside runs. No call. You know what I mean? So, you know, that factors into it. But over the course of a 120-play game or how many plays it was, you know, the calls are going to even out and these kind of things. You can't make those kind of mistakes. And so, uh, to me, Stroud, to have the team in position at the end of the game uh, to, to overcome a lot of the issues, I thought he and the receivers just played an amazing game. So, uh, you know, another amazing game. They put up the same stats they put up every week, basically. It just wasn't enough to overcome how bad the defense was, how bad the offensive line was, how bad the play calling was. Plenty of blame to go around, even special teams. I don't know what they're doing on special teams. I know Emeka Ebuka has been banged up, or maybe maybe he's under the weather, one of the two. In fact, I think he was under the weather. But still, Julian Fleming starts off the Michigan State game, uh, losing the ball in the sun, muffing a kickoff. Starts off the Michigan game, so the Buckeyes get the ball at the four-yard line because he muffs, uh, doesn't, doesn't muff it, just can't, doesn't get up to even make a fair catch. And then they leave him back there. I, I mean... The coaching was bad. The play on the field was bad. It's just, it's so disappointing that Michigan was clearly the better team and clearly the, the better coach team. It's just, it's mind boggling to me. All right, last thing, I'll get you out of here. I, I have a tough time caring about the bowl game, whatever's going to happen with the bowl game. I'm sure when it rolls around, I'll care. Give me a prediction. Do you think it's going to be the Rose Bowl? 
uh, the winner of Utah, Oregon? Do you think it's going to be the Rose Bowl? Where are the Buckeyes headed for bowl season, Steve? It hinges on what happens with Michigan and Iowa, obviously. If uh, Michigan goes on and wins this game, as people predict, then uh, Michigan would be in the playoff and the Rose Bowl would take the highest ranked Big Ten team. They don't make a selection. They look at the, the committee ranks the teams and then they take the highest ranked team, which would be obviously Ohio State ahead of a three-loss Iowa, a four-loss Wisconsin, a two-loss Ohio State would certainly be the highest-ranked Big Ten team. So if Michigan wins, it's the Rose Bowl against the winner of the Utah-Oregon game, which will be played Friday night. So as you fans will want to tune in and watch that, you can either get your revenge against Oregon or beat a Utah team that beat Oregon twice. So uh, take your pick on that. I know Utah doesn't evoke much emotion. I think there might be some to avenge the loss to Oregon. Uh, I think one of the things you have to think about is if anybody's going to sit out this game. I don't think there's any ready-made pros on this team other than Olave and Wilson, who are going to be first-round picks. I don't think anybody else has made their made their bed here. You know what I mean? I think you know that they could go out and play one more very good football game to prove their worth to the NFL. I don't think anybody can just rest on their laurels if you understand what I'm saying, and not play in the bowl game. I mean, they, they might to not risk injury, or if they've got a nagging injury and don't want to exacerbate it, maybe they would sit out at that point. But uh, I don't think anybody is a uh, top 15 pick to where they're just going to say, oh, I don't need to play in this bowl game. You know, it's been fun. Thank you to the brotherhood. <laughs> I don't think we're to that point with anybody. If they are, they're deluding themselves because I don't see anybody outside of those two receivers who's going in the first round. So that's the first thing. Um, if somehow Iowa beats Michigan, and Iowa played a terrible game on Friday against Nebraska, and Nebraska just gave that game to them. If you were, we were listening on our way to Michigan, and it was, I see your block punt, and I raise you a turnover in the red zone. You know, it was just, it was one, one terrible mistake after another. And you could see Lucy Van Pelt, pulling the football away from Charlie Brown, you know, one, one frame at a time, basically. And you knew it was coming that Iowa was going to win that game. I'm not sure Iowa has a good enough team to beat Michigan, uh, particularly with the backup quarterback, I, Padilla, Petras. I'm not sure it matters who plays quarterback for them. But if by some chance Michigan has shot its entire wad and has nothing left to give and somehow loses that game. Michigan is still in the New Year's Six. Ohio State's in the New Year's Six, and I was in the Rose Bowl. But the problem is the Orange Bowl and the uh, Cotton Bowl are the playoffs. The Sugar Bowl is a contracted game. Only SEC and Big 12 teams can play there in the off years when they, they're not hosting the playoff. And the Rose Bowl would be taken by Iowa. So that just leaves two bowls, the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl. Ohio State would go to one and Michigan would go to the other. And I have no clue. I would, I would think, I would hope after 27 Fiesta Bowls in the last 15 years, Ohio State would go to the Peach Bowl, not that Atlanta in January is going to be great weather or, you know, anything to get too excited about, uh, you know, but uh, maybe that would be the, uh, the the destination. So, uh, and no idea who they'd play. I mean, Notre Dame would be lurking out there if they don't get jumped into the playoff. Uh, so, uh, I think their path to the playoff is if Baylor 
somehow beats Oklahoma State or if Houston somehow beats Cincinnati, that would open up a spot uh, for Notre Dame, I would think. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, you're probably in one of those other games you'd be playing Notre Dame potentially. Good stuff from Steve Hellwagon. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that as well. Hope everyone has a great day. We'll turn the Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.